The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good evening and welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing Broadcasting from the Cromer Mashburn Family Studios at Public Radio WMKV 89.3 in Reading, Ohio and WLHS 89.9 FM in Westchester. I am your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and Real Life Real Estate is your public radio source for information and inspiration to start or grow your own real estate investing business. Today is one of my favorite shows that we do every year at this time of year where we get to talk to real-life real estate listeners who have officially won Best, Worst, Most Creative Deal of the Year awards at various real estate investing associations around the area. It's your chance to check out what other folks are doing, learn from their triumphs and their tragedies, as you'll hear a little bit later on, and to give the folks who are out there putting all this great information to use some credit and recognition right here on the radio. Our very first guest today is Michelle Clayton from R3 Home Source here in the greater Cincinnati area. Michelle was the winner of the extremely prestigious Cincinnati RIA Deal of the Year Award this year, and she is joining us by phone from her home in Cincinnati. Michelle, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hello, thank you. Uh, we are... Um, we're glad to have you here. I know this is always kind of stressful for folks who are, uh, you know, not used to being on the radio and used to having, you know, people that they know around them. But um, I think that your story has a lot of uh, applicability, a lot of lessons for folks out there who might be kind of struggling with their uh, real estate businesses because you are primarily, I think, in your business, a wholesaler. Is that correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I uh, should mention also that you are one of the co-leaders of the Cincinnati RIA wholesaling subgroup for people that are here in the area and want to check that mm -hmm. out at CincinnatiRIA.com. Uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself and then we'll get into your deal. Um, sure. Well, in general, I've been in and out of real estate for a while now, and um, but I've been full-time in real estate since 2011. I've been focusing on wholesaling during that time. Um, one of the biggest reasons is just because I still have young children that um, you know, still require a lot of my personal time, and so wholesaling really works for me personally because I can completely control my schedule um, around what my business needs and my family needs are 
I have complete control. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate that aspect. And and we sometimes lose lose focus uh, here on the program with all the strategies, techniques, you know, so, so, that the whole purpose of doing this real estate thing is so that you can do what you really want to do, <laughs> which is, it's not, it's not bricks for the sake of bricks. You know, it's, it's uh, what's important in my life and how can real estate investments or a real estate business like you have helped me to achieve those outside goals. So mm-hmm. I'm very glad you said that. So tell us about your deal of the year. Sure. Um, well, Basically, the guy originally called me last December, and at first he was asking uh, $45,000 for his property. Um, It was in an area, Middletown, which is roughly about 45 minutes from from my house, and um, which, you know, if I were going to hold the property, that would be too far for me, but because... I am just working short-term with properties when I wholesale. I was willing to travel that far. I pretty much anywhere within an hour I'm willing to consider when I'm looking at properties for wholesaling. Mm-hmm. And so I initially, he was asking 45. Um, based on our initial conversation, my number was going to be roughly about 20000 And so I let him know that. And um, we went our separate ways for a little while. Now, and then, uh, 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 one mm-hmm. sec, Michelle. Um, sure. Walk us through why the twenty thousand. Like, what, what, what was this house worth fixed up? What were the sure. potential repair costs? Why? Because a lot mm-hmm. of times, you know, listeners hear somebody say, "Well, I, you know, I wanted forty-five and I paid twenty, and it might sound like a random <laughs> number, but it's not." Okay. Um, this house in Middletown. It was a rental area section of Middletown. So completely fixed up, the house might be worth forty-five thousand, just because it was in a rental area, um, and just that was the area. If it was completely fixed up, um, it did need some repairs because uh, most he had done a lot of the work. He had bought it um, run down, and he had fixed it up a lot, but then had health issues, so he could not finish the work. Um, and he couldn't really manage the crew to finish the work. So it had a new roof, um, new kitchen, windows, and flooring, but it still needed um, you know, all the trim work still needed done. All the closet doors needed um, installed, general cleanup because he had been living there. And then with his health issues, the yard had come completely overgrown. So it did still need some work, and so it didn't justify the full fixed up value of 45,000. It was, um, you know, I had done the calculations, taking it back for a rental in that area. And the ratio I use is um, 60%. And then minus the repairs, minus uh, what I want to earn for a wholesale fee. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For signing for signing the contract that you're a principal yes. in. So, Correct. but he said no. I mean, how is this best deal of the year? I mean, 19 out of 20 people say no. How is this a yeah, big deal? So so what? What happened next? Sure. Well, he obviously wasn't that motivated at that point. He wasn't ready to accept that. So he did call again in May, and he was still trying to sell his house. He At that point, he was asking me 35 for his property. 
And we talked a little bit about his property again, and then I reminded him that my number was, would be about 20000 Um So, again, he said, well, I, I can't take that. And I said, okay, great. If anything changes, give me a call. And so then finally he called again uh, at the end of July, beginning of August time. And at that point he was very motivated because um, his daughter was getting ready to start college down in eastern Kentucky, and his sister already lived there, and that's why he'd been wanting to sell his house, because he was wanting to move to be with the rest of his family at that point. And his daughter was getting ready to leave, so he would be here by himself. And so finally he was very motivated, and he said that I reminded him of my um, general price, and he said, yes, that would probably work for him at this time. So I went ahead and visited him in his home and took a look at everything, and that's when I was able to truly see, you know, all the pluses and minuses of the property of what still needed done and all the work he had done. And at that time, um, you know, I was, I started a little bit lower number, but we ended up agreeing on 21000 for his property and so then I had the contract at 21000 um, and the great thing about this whole story though is that before I went to the property I already knew who my buyer was going to be um, because this is in another county north of Cincinnati Butler County and um, I already knew who a major buyer in that county was, and I had already sold that major buyer a property, another, or assigned my contract to another, sorry, assigned another contract to that buyer earlier in the year. Mm -hmm. And so at this point, as soon as I had that contract, I immediately contacted the buyer again and said, I have another property. Um, and they looked at it the very next day, and they agreed right away that they wanted it at the price. The overall price I was offering it at was twenty nine nine. So um, we ended up doing the paperwork, and then they wrote me a check for the difference, which was eight thousand nine hundred. And I stayed involved in the process to make sure that everything got done properly um, since I had been the point of communication for the buyer and the seller. But then um, when all was said and done with this entire deal, it because I was wholesaling it, I already knew who my buyer was going to be. It ended up only taking me roughly with everything about five hours for that entire profit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. $8,900 for five hours worth of work. I, I can't do the math in my head, but it's enough <laughs> as, a, as an hourly wage. Now, let's uh, let's let's go back and um, for for listeners who might uh, sort of uh, be unfamiliar with the language that we speak to to mm-hmm. as wholesalers with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, when you say you knew who the buyer was, what mm-hmm. what you mean is really. I think I I had a really good idea of who would be really interested in this house based on their their prior behavior. Not that so and so the buyer told me to go find them a house. 
That we, we, which, is, which is what agents do, right? I mean, age, with with an agent, you you call and you kind of place your order, and the agent goes out and tries to find the the the, the house that meets your Correct. needs as it is. But this was this was more of a, huh? This house looks like the type of house that this person would like to buy. I'm going to give mm-hmm. the first call to that person, but I am guessing that you could have sold it to other buyers. Sure, and as I well. do know other people interested in properties in Butler County, but. Because it's farther from my home, um, I automatically just contacted the first person that I knew buys a lot of properties in that area just to make it easier overall in the process for myself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. So five hours of work, $8,900 in profit on, on, uh, to put this into perspective, a $30,000 house. I mean, that's that's actually, you know, quite a large chunk of profit for a uh, a cheap market like we live in here in southern Ohio. So yes. congratulations on that deal, Michelle. If if there were one piece of advice that you could give to a listener who is, let's say, where you were five years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I want to do this, but, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure how to do it. If there were one piece of advice for listeners who wanted to do deals like this in 2015, what would that be? Sure. It would basically sum up with make sure that you have your education and your connections because without the education, there's no way I could have made that much money with such a short amount of time. And it was also those connections of knowing what my, what different people in the market are interested in that was made it possible for me to be able to find a potential buyer so quickly. Wonderful. Again, Michelle, congratulations. Thank you for joining us today. That was Michelle Clayton from R3 Home Source, best deal of the year from Cincinnati Rhea. After the break, we will come back with another very interesting deal, the most creative deal of the year from Central Ohio Real Estate Investors. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. If you're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing through our podcast, remember that you can listen and participate live on Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern at WMKV 89.3 or WLHS 89.9 FM in the greater Cincinnati area or live streaming anywhere in the whole world at WMKVFM.org. You're listening to our annual Best and Worst Deals of the Year program. And my next guest was the winner of the most creative deal of the year at the Central Ohio Real Estate Entrepreneurs. Uh, he is joining us from a conference in Arizona. Welcome, Dave Payerchin. Well, thank you very much, uh, Miss Real Estate Goddess. I'm here in sunny Arizona and uh, looking at palm trees as we speak. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, rub it in. So, <laughs> so Dave, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, how long you've been in the business, what your primary focuses are, and then we will talk about your very creative deal. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, first and foremost, thank you very much, Dina. And uh, I get a lot of value from, uh, from your meetings and uh, really enjoyed the last meeting and we happened to win that award. Um, but I've been in real estate since 2005 and started out with an emphasis on wholesaling. You know, I, you know very well that's a great way to get started into the business. 
And he used to drive around and find vacant houses and tie them up under contract and, and sell the contracts. And then I started getting into rehabs and uh, then rentals. And, and my primary focus right now is managing. Uh, I've got about 20 rentals. And we also provide turnkey properties, uh, mostly in A and B type areas, to investors all over the world and uh, mostly uh, in California. And uh, they come in and, and get a loan, and the rates are really low right now. Typically, they get like a 4.75% interest rate and purchase turnkey rental properties, like I said, in, in pretty good areas. Mm-hmm. So that's been my primary focus. And, uh, you know, we're always doing deals. We do a ton of marketing, probate marketing, bus benches. I mean, if you Google sell my house, Columbus, Ohio, we're the number one website that's not paid for. So we stay pretty busy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this deal, though, was was a little kind of out of the ordinary for what you would normally look for or go after. And uh, uh, for folks particularly who are listening who are not from the Columbus area, can you describe a little bit about the, the property, the, the type of neighborhood that it's in, kind of what it might be worth completely fixed up, that sort of thing? Perfect, perfect. Yes, yeah, so this was a deal that really was one of those deals, super motivated seller, not the best area, not the best part of Columbus. Um, I, would, I would call it a, a C-minus type of area. Um, it's one of those areas that would, it would be pretty difficult for a buyer to get financing um, for. It's mostly just all cash transactions, a lot of investment properties in this area. And this was a motivated seller, and he could not wait. All he wanted to do was pack his bags and move to Michigan. And the property all fixed up, most likely worth about 45000 And he owned the property free and clear. And the property needed very little work. Um, we basically negotiated a land contract with this buyer, seller finance type of transaction. And we negotiated the purchase price of $10,000 for the house where we would pay him $2,500 down, and then we'd pay the balance. I'm not exactly sure what, how we were going to pay the balance back over 12 months, but that's how the deal was negotiated. And we gave this individual the $2,500 down, and he packed his bags and, and moved to Michigan, and he left so much stuff in the house. You know, I can't describe it. Mean, we got a bow flax. We had art, and we had, I mean, leather jackets. We, got, we had all sorts of stuff, and cleaned all that out. The house was not in bad shape, didn't need any work. And we then found a tenant buyer. So we marketed this property rent to own. And we found an individual who was willing to take this property in its as is condition as we do with all of our rent to own properties. We have the tenant buyer responsible for all the maintenance and upkeep. And this individual came in and they gave us $1,000 down and agreed to 650 a month. And they gave us the $1,000 down, non-refundable. So to recap our deal, we're out $2,500 of our pocket. We just recouped $1,000 from our tenant buyer. And they stayed there for two months. They paid us six fifty for two months. So that's another $1,300 that we collected. And then they decided to pack up and leave. They, they didn't want to stay there anymore. So they walked away. The tenant buyer walked away. We kept their $1,000 and then obviously the two months rent that they paid. Then... We ran into some situations with the utility company, so we, we couldn't get the utilities back in our name, and the utility company wanted to see the deed 
but it was a land contract, so the deed was still in the former seller's name. So we had to call the seller and basically we said, hey, we'll pay you off. Remember, we, the agreed purchase price was, was $10,000. We'd already given him $2,500. And we basically said, hey, if we could pay you off in full, will you take a discount? And they agreed, and we gave him another $5,000. So we ended up all in this deal for 7500 And now we own the property free and clear. We'd already collected uh, the $1,000 down from our original tenant buyer plus two months at six fifty. And so we basically discounted our land contract with the original seller. And then we turned around and marketed the property. Uh, now we own it free and clear. We marketed it as a land contract to sell it on land contract. And we found a buyer to come in and agree to a purchase price of $36,000. And they came in with $5,000 down. And they pay us $1,010 a month like clockwork and has never missed a payment. <laughs> so lots, lots of swallow there. Hopefully I described it okay for you and your listeners. Well, and, and it's, it's a great example of if you make the deal right, things can go wrong and it still turns out okay. <laughs> because yeah, a, a lot of I people, mean, a lot of people, if they lost a tenant after two months would be in a total panic about, Oh my gosh, I never should have done this. And, uh, in reality, it uh, it it you found a, a, a new person and and you know terms sold it on terms for much more money than you had in it. Now there's something I want to back up here and explore a little bit because whenever we in this business are talking to each other about deals that we've done, we all know that sellers sell for their own reasons, right? Not not because they're stupid, not because they're so financially desperate that they'll take whatever comes along. And yet I think that's sometimes what, I think that's sometimes how outsiders perceive that we make deals. Now, if this guy had Bowflex and leather jackets and all this stuff in his house, I'm guessing he was not, he was not some financially desperate, unsophisticated dude. Uh, you're, you absolutely hit the nail on the head, and I think it's great to point out to your listeners that sometimes the perception is us as real estate investors are out there you know, trying to take advantage of people, when that's not the case whatsoever. We buy, and you teach this, Tina, it's all about the motivation of the individual selling to us. And he was very motivated, and it was actually for a woman. I think he was lovestruck, and he just wanted to go, uh, <laughs> go by his woman. I, you know, he had no interest in this house whatsoever. And... Um, you know, also, like you said, sometimes when things go bad, it, it actually turns out better, mm-hmm. you know, so you got to be open to all options and, and possibilities. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we're really, really grateful for this particular deal. Mm-hmm. Hopefully one of many. Now, obviously, he, uh, if he, if he, unless he's been living under a rock on the dark side of the moon, uh, he was probably very well aware that there's these people around here called real estate agents that could have listed his house for him, and that if he was willing to wait, he probably could have gotten more than ten thousand dollars for it. And uh, if he'd have bothered to study up, he probably could have sold it on terms for more money. And yet, he did not choose any of those things. That's correct. And, and oftentimes, when we're speaking with with sellers who are motivated. You know, we actually ask them, we say, well, have you considered listing it with a real estate agent? And that is, that's actually a great question to even draw out more motivation. They say, no, no, we don't want to list with an agent. we got to sell fast. Here's the story. You know, we, we, we let the seller tell us why they don't want to list with an agent. You know, and oftentimes these people need to make a move, and they need to make a move 
quick. So the, the only option is somebody who's willing to come in with cash and, and as is condition is, is really, really appealing to somebody who needs to move quick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, you know, the, the haters are going to continue to hate. Those of us <laughs> who've, who've done the deals know that people do these things not because they don't know that there's other ways to do things or not because they, you know, are, are just so, I don't know, dumb or like financially unaware of things, but, but because they want to move to Michigan for a woman. And <laughs> you, may, you may not, you, you know, if you were in the same position, you might not make the same decision, but finding the sellers who are going to do that anyway is kind of one of the keys here. So, uh, Dave, if you were if you were talking to a listener who is now where you were in 2005, sort of just getting started, not sure how all this works, and you were to give them one success tip for 2015, what would that be? That's an excellent question. Um, well, number one, I would say to continue to listen and uh, keep their, their finger on the pulse of what you're doing, Gina. Attend your meetings. I'm here to let everybody know I have been doing this since 05. I'm at a real estate conference in Arizona, as a matter of fact, right now. And Vina is one of the people. I've met people and, and quote-unquote gurus all over the country. I know many, many people. And Vina is somebody who practices integrity in what she does. She does the business. She's not up here doing a radio show talking about deals. She actually does deals. Um, so many people out there just don't even do deals. They're just selling education, selling things. And, and uh, I can attest to your listeners, you are in the business, and that's very important. You know, follow people and learn from people who actually do it, not just are very good at talking about it. But one success tip, um, I, would, I would say, I think a lot of people when they're first starting out, they're very, it's a very attractive business. It's a very sexy business. And they start to learn a few things, and they see the potential to create a lot of money and create a lot of you know, wealth for themselves and their family. And sometimes people become guarded. They feel like, okay, I have this knowledge now, and I'm worried about competition, competition. You always hear new people worried about competition. And if I was talking to anyone who's just getting started, I would say be open to working and surrounding yourself around other people who are in the business you're going to get farther faster and find a mentor you know what what you will find out there is people who are successful are more willing to share than than anyone else mm-hmm. and you know find people who are in the business and work with them and be willing to go out and, and find deals for other people and, and just add as much value as you possibly can to people who are successful in the business already and you'll be amazed at what opens up for you and, and how much people want to help you. Wonderful advice, Dave. Thank you so much for joining us today. Congratulations on your big win for Creative Deal of the Year. And uh, we look forward to seeing what you what you do in 2015. You're listen- All right. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We'll be back right after this with the worst deal possibly in human history. We'll be back. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. You can always stay in touch with Real Life Real Estate, what's going on on the program with our guests and out in the bigger real estate world by going to askvina.com. That's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A dot com. And putting in your email address to get a weekly e-letter from Real Life Real Estate 
along with a reminder that the show is coming up. I can't tell you how often I get emails on Wednesdays at seven o'clock saying, oh, I missed the show. What was it about? Was it awesome? And the answer is always yes. But you would know that if you were one of our subscribers, go to askvina.com, fill out the little box at the top that says, stay tuned to real life real estate investing, and we will keep you informed of what's going on out in the real estate world. My next guest has a very, very sad story to tell because along with the best deal of the year contests that are held at the various real estate associations around the country, there's typically a worst deal of the year award because sometimes things go wrong in the real estate investing business. And when that happens, sometimes all you can get out of it is a good story and a plaque. The winner of the plaque this year is Mr. Ross Shively, the president of New Foundations Transitional Living, if that name sounds familiar to you and you're here in the Cincinnati area, it's because you saw it all over the news all spring and all summer. Well, now we've got the man himself to talk about his fight with the city of Cincinnati and how much it cost him. Ross, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hello, hello, everyone. (laughs) Yeah, so glad you're able to laugh about this. I'm listening to your introduction about a sad story, and um, I'm going to have a positive twist on this in the end. I'm going to tell my sad story because it is quite sad, but the the point that I also want to get across as entrepreneurs and as, uh, you know, and real estate investors, you always, you can't just uh, sit on the sidelines either and claim that just that bad things happen to you and oh you're a victim you you if you're going to take responsibility for the good things that happen then you also have to take responsibility for the bad things that happen so i did have a part in this happening to me um it didn't just happen as circumstance you know i mean it it sort of did but um i'll i'll tell the whole story um or a short part of it to to not eat up your entire radio show um and we'll go from there. So where where should I start? Do you want me to just go well, ahead? Well, let's let's start with what is it that new transitions or sorry, new foundations does because I think that's a that's a real key yeah. part okay. of of how things transpired here. Right. Let let me give you just a real quick background. Um I started out in traditional real estate investing and buying rental properties and so on and so forth. And I'd, you know, wholesale a few deals, but I mostly got into the, the rehab side of things. And um, I'm an over rehabber, if you will. And, and I always like to make my properties uh, very nice and uh, <clears throat> over improved, if you will. So five years ago, I got into... Uh, transitional housing and what transitional housing is, is a better way to describe it would be sober housing uh, it's housing for recovering alcoholics and drug addicts that are struggling with their lives they've been through a detox or and or treatment program um, so they're not just coming off the streets they're not 
necessarily, you know, coming out of jail or anything like that. They're just people that are having a tough time in their lives and they're reaching out for a hand because they need help. And as our, your listeners may or may not know, we have one of the largest drug epidemics sweeping the country as we speak right now that is getting exponentially worse every single day. So the need for this sort of housing is uh, tremendous. Mm-hmm. And so to tie that in with how I started out, you know, I, you rent to a, a regular tenant and you hear the horror stories of, oh, well, the tenant beat the place up and now I'm every turnover, you're, you're spending thousands of dollars in turnovers to, to fix it back up so that you can re-rent it and do it all over again. So the concept that I liked about transitional housing is that it both benefits the community. You're doing something tremendous for the community at large, as well as you have a closer eye on your properties and the residents that stay there. Uh, They live by rules. You know, they have chores and they have to attend AA meetings and they have a curfew. You know, we're not a prison facility. It's just simply housing. Uh, However, you have a lot tighter controlled reins on how they behave and how they act. So you don't just show up one day and your house is completely trashed. And so those were the win-win upsides for me. And that's that's why I got into it. And and I had a soft spot because I knew a few people that were uh, that were dear friends of mine that were uh, very bad off with alcoholism. So, mm-hmm. And and to, 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 to step back a second and, and clarify this further, because some of what was being said in the media was a bit misleading about uh, who, who these folks were. Um, they... I, I learned more about politics and media than I think I ever cared to in this process. So, and... Uh, Someone and I and I'll just make a note. If you watch the six o'clock news or the eleven o'clock news, and you believe what channel five, nine, twelve, or nineteen or whatever Fox is telling you, then you are grossly mistaken. the The most accurate thing about a news broadcast is probably them guessing at the weather forecast. Um, so, so <laughs> these these folks these folks live together. In, in a do. in a structured environment by Correct. choice they are not they're not they're not being sentenced to live in a house they are they understand that they are you know new to sobriety and sometimes that can be a little bit you know there's temptation out there right and so they are choosing to live in an environment where there are other people facing the same struggle and a support network is the word you're looking for there. And I believe that you have folks uh, uh, who who sort of work for you living in these houses just to sort of keep everybody on track. You, no, nobody gets to stumble home drunk at midnight and say, oh, I'll be better tomorrow. No, that doesn't happen at any of our houses. We have uh, managers uh, as well as assistant managers. So we have two people on a management team at every single house. 24 hours a day, mm-hmm. seven days a week, and that sort of are there for support and there to, you know, maintain uh, order, if you will. But mm-hmm. if everyone's doing what they're supposed to be doing, the the maintaining order part sort of flows <laughs> in line, and we've never 
ever had any real issues where, you know, that there was extreme measures that had to be taken or there was something where someone was fearing for their lives. Or, and, and that's kind of the concept that I think that uh, the media presented as well as the city and, you know, oh, we shouldn't allow sober living houses in certain neighborhoods because these are horrible people and they can turn on us at any moment. And all of those things are just uh, fear out of ignorance, to be honest with you. So, mm-hmm. And, and um, for the protection yeah. of your residents who really are trying to stay on track, uh, somebody who does fall off the wagon has to move. They have to immediately, not just uh, there's no eviction process. There's no, oh, we'll give you a couple days. Now, if someone falls off the wagon, if you will, uh, they are asked to leave immediately. Mm-hmm. And now they're welcome back uh, as soon as they can pass a drug test. And they, we you know, we may send them through another detox or rehab program to get them straight before they come back to us. But they're always welcome back. We always word it very nicely like, hey, you know the rules. You broke the rules. You got to go. And, you know, you'll get a few people that sort of balk at that and want to resist a little bit. But for the most part, They've already left. You don't even have to ask them to leave because they usually just don't come back. If they mess up, they just don't come back home, mm-hmm. period. So mm-hmm. they're just gone. Okay, so so Ross found a way to make money as a good capitalist, serving a group of people who honestly have a hard time finding housing and who, again, choose to be together for the purposes of continuing their recovery, which all sounds wonderful. So how could any of this go wrong? Well... here's how it all went wrong Um, because of the epidemic that I mentioned previously and because we get literally dozens of calls every single day for people reaching out that need help we are therefore expanding rapidly Uh, we're now I believe the largest provider in the state of Ohio um, and we get calls nationwide there's a lady in jacksonville florida that just won't leave me alone she wants me to franchise my 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 business idea in in her city um and so here's how it went wrong so we're expanding i'm searching for new properties well i found a new property gorgeous big beautiful house on the west side of cincinnati um purchased the house got a pretty good deal on you know nothing amazing but a pretty good deal on it um uh the next step was doing the rehab before it was ready to go well as i also mentioned previous i'm i'm an over improver and so this was a house i knew that i was going to be able to fill up immediately because our phone was ringing off the hook so i knew it was going to i'd be able to fill it quickly it was going to cash flow quickly so i went all out with the improvements to the house. I said, okay, I don't want to deal with, uh, you know, maintenance issues. Oh, here's something, uh, you know, with the, with the plumbing of the cast iron or here's something with the roof or a gutter leak or whatever. So we literally went through and nearly gutted the house and built ourselves a new house. So short of tearing the house down, we built a new house mm-hmm. and that costs a lot of money to do that. Um, but I wasn't fearful at the time. You know, most real estate investors 
you come up with a very specific scope of work and you stick to that plan and you try to not go over budget at all. And those were the correct things that I probably in retrospect should have done, but I didn't. So I'm telling my story of what actually happened. I didn't. I went, just spent an ungodly amount of money, made this house absolutely beautiful, redid everything, all new electrical, all new plumbing, all new drywall, gutted the third floor. Uh, there's huge vaulted ceilings. Um, so we did the, the new high-tech spray foam insulation up in the rafters so that we could then bring the drywall flush all the way up the vaulted ceiling to the, the peak. So now I have 14 foot high. I mean, you could play basketball on the third floor. I mean, the house, it's huge. So beautiful up there. Beautiful house. Sure thing to cash flow. Still not yes. seeing how this became the worst deal of the year. So I get a letter one day from the city of Cincinnati. And the letter says something along the lines of, hey, do you intend to use this property as transitional living? Because if you Google my name, my company comes up, of course. You know, it's very simple. Um, and, you know, between you and me, of course, I was going to use it for transitional living. That was the plan. Uh, but for the permit that I pulled was a rehab of a two-family house because that's what it is. It's a two-family house that I was rehabbing, so that was the permit there pulled. So the letter said, well, your permit conflicts with what we think you're going to do with the house, and you need to cease and desist your construction. So that was step one. And I was coming back from spring break with my kids on April 10th, I remember the day, when I got this news of the letter. Um, so we got back, I called the building department, and, uh, you know, one thing led to another, and they said, oh, let's just have a meeting. And I was like, well, I need to, I think I might need to call an attorney on this one. I don't want to step in something that I say the wrong thing. And, uh, Long story short, I've called a few attorneys. They said we don't. One of them actually does talk to the city building department, and they get impatient very quickly. Like it's only been a week or so. Most notices that the city gives you, they say, "Oh, you have 30 days to rectify something or whatever." Every phone call we made to just inquire what this was about, they escalated the process by completely just ignoring the, the due process of giving us 30 days mm -hmm. and just shortening our time frame. Like, oh, before you had 30 days, now you've called us and asked us questions. Oh, now you have seven days. Mm -hmm. Then we call, had an attorney call, oh, you've called us and seven days isn't good enough. How about two days? You have mm -hmm. two days mm -hmm. to basically file uh, mm -hmm. uh some sort of answer with the city and we didn't even know what we were answering at that mm -hmm. point now ross um, we have we have about three minutes left so let's jump okay, forward <laughs> to, I the, gotcha. to the point at which the city says shut down not just this house but every the transitional living the house city you have. files an emergency injunction that we're so horrible that we need to be shut down immediately with the state of ohio which comes directly from orders from the mayor's office, which tells us in, in uh, researching 
that this is the mayor's personal fight for some reason because of a friend or campaign contributor or family member that does not want us in the neighborhood. And so not only did they loop, they, they're talking about that house specifically, they just went ahead and threw in all the rest of my eight properties. Mm-hmm. So now it's, no, we don't want you in this property, nor do we want you to operate anywhere. We're going to shut your entire business down. So, so suddenly you were facing basically the loss of all of your tenants, all of your properties, all of your income. And yes. that, of course, all of my livelihood, everything that I've worked for for five years. That, because, r- yes. Right. And that, of course, of is where we all, all the rest of us became aware of it through reports in the media and so on. And you ultimately ended up hiring a very high-end, out-of-town attorney who fights these cases for, for transitional-type housing very regularly. Yes, he's, uh, he's one of the, is the best in the United States. He's a fair housing attorney, and a recovering alcoholic is a protected class under the Fair Housing Act, the Federal Fair Housing Act of 1988, I believe, uh, a recovering alcoholic is uh, is protected under this. It's a it's a section of the Disabilities Act. So alcoholism mm-hmm. is considered a disability. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to make this as fast as I can. Right, because we have like um, one minute left. <laughs> so my attorney, you know, in short, my attorney contacts the city of Cincinnati's uh, city attorney and basically says, "Okay, we have two options here. We can agree upon a settlement." Or we can step this up a notch and we can sue the city of Cincinnati, naming the mayor specifically in a federal discriminatory lawsuit uh, against the Federal Fair Housing Act. And so that's when, you know, the city attorney starts to, you know, I don't want to say backpedal, but they, you know, they start to see a little a little fear like, whoa, what we didn't know any of this uh, because you know, the mayor kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, started running his mouth before he really knew what he was talking about. And uh, the mayor himself never really did back down, to be honest. He never did. Uh-huh. Um, but the city attorney, I'm sure, was behind closed doors advising him that he probably should. So so for how many months did you this not went know? went on for seven months. Seven, seven months. Seven months where you were still operating because the, this thing was being dealt with in, in, in really settlement talks at this point versus a lawsuit. And right. when the when the dust settled, you you know, you, you got a settlement where you didn't open that house, but you got to keep right. your other houses and, you know, all, all, all is well in that regard. But how much did this little adventure cost you? This little venture cost me all of the over-improvements to the house which I calculate of upwards of $60,000, you know, that I, because I'm going to just use it as a, as a standard rental now, so I won't get back, you know, my return mm-hmm. on that over-improvement is going to take some time at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so the seven months that it sat vacant that I could have been using it to help people for transitional housing and the income related to that, as well as, hugely exorbitant legal fees to my attorney. Uh So all said and done, um, I calculated the other day, what did I come up with? Uh, I think it was $138,000. $138,000. And the only outcome was? 
I'm doing what I'm doing except for this one house. So, Ross, we appreciate your uh, combination civics lesson, uh, mea culpa, and, uh, you know, uh, congratulations, I guess, for taking home the worst deal of the year. Hopefully... You won't ever have that I'll again. I'll be back <laughs> next year with the best deal of the year, Vina. You That's know I right. will. All right. Thank you very much, Ross Shively from New Foundations Transitional Living. And to all of our guests and the listeners, we'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.